I have such an emotional response to abortion because of the trauma that was incurred upon me. And I, I get very offended when people say, it's, oh, it's indirect to males. Okay, I get it. It's not physical um, in the sense that something happens to us. But I think we've come a long way where talk, we're talking about all these different issues about the psychological effect of a particular event in someone's life and how traumatic it is and how it can manifest into physiological issues and all kinds of other stuff that I think it's unfair to say stuff like that. Welcome to Crossing Faiths, where a Christian and Muslim started a multi-faith podcast that's just blossomed into <laughs> uh, this uh, larger subject matter where we discuss uh, religion and politics. Uh, this is season nine. Uh, Matthew is back from a medical hiatus and uh, moving into a new house and a couple of other things. Um, and uh, I'm I'm back on uh, back among the living from uh, kind of been a rough year. The Afghan neo, the non-combat evacuation of Afghanistan, which was a little crazy, and uh, Ukraine. So yeah. we have some pretty crazy things planned for this season. Uh, we are going to be uh, speaker heavy. Uh, but Matthew, welcome. Thank you, thank you, my friend. Yeah, the last nine months, nine ten months have been adventurous for you and I both for different reasons. Um, but and I wish we got so much like that we were able to talk about some of this stuff. But I mean, we got abortion, right? So yeah. you know, team team evangelical must be loving life right now. Yeah, big news on the abortion front uh, with um, the Supreme yeah. Court. Um, and then uh, we've got obviously the Ukraine, which you know most of my stuff is international. Yeah. But uh, my most of my, my my portfolio was international. I never really dealt with actually about twenty percent of what I dealt with in, throughout my career was domestic. But um, and because I spoke Russian and worked in the Donbass and done work there, I've been focusing so much on on Ukrainian issues. But uh, you know, math. You're your, your back among the living. You know, you you spent a a, a little bit of time uh, hiatus in. Uh, at the uh, at the Parthenon in in Tennessee, worshiping <laughs> Athena. Stop it! So, what? Well, I don't know. I mean, just I, you know, I I figure people have to be going there and doing something. Athena is yeah, really large, isn't she? It's there. huge, huge for, for and how would you know folks. if you didn't attend? Right for, for context, exactly. folks. Nashville, Tennessee has a life size replica of the Greek Parthenon, in which there's also a life-size life replica of the statue of Athena. And it's... Well, not uh, life-size. It's bigger I, than life. It's, it's yeah, like well, what I mean, it like, was in yeah, the temple. Yeah, yeah. Life-size according Greeks. to what it was. Not like not like my size Athena, but like it's the, the statue is tall is taller probably than my two story house. Um, I'm gonna well, for the- our listeners, Matt is not a model for the size of statue <laughs> statuary. Okay, but but I think shoot, I'm gonna get you know people who know better. Not only is Athena huge, um, this you know the size of a house. She actually holds in her hand a standing stat she's kind of holding up like this a standing yeah. statue of another greek god i forget whether it's like nike or ichthus but from afar it looks like he's teeny tiny but he like that statue himself it's like six feet tall or more so like the statue <laughs> she's holding in her hand is taller than me <laughs> yeah it's funny we were having it's funny, it's funny. i don't know we brought this up a couple times but i don't know i was like throwing it in there um but uh, but it's good to be back and good to be chatting a bit. I mean, we have a lot to talk about. Um, we just thought we'd do a like a soft kickstart right into the season. Uh, like I said, we're gonna have we're gonna be speaker heavy, chatting with a few of our our close contacts from our our, our A list uh, lists, and then moving on to some other stuff. But I mean, I, you know, the, what would you like to talk about, Matthew? Let's well, chat with. Let's say, I'm, I'm looking forward to being back in the routine to talk religion and politics. Um, with you and uh, we've, we've been out of practice for a while and, and kind of on hiatus. And I know we both wanted to get back to it. Um, and we've, there's been a, a ton of news and headlines that were, that are religion related uh, that we've missed to talk about. So we have, might have to pepper that in across our future conversations. Um, you, you mentioned some of them, clearly the Ukraine war with Russia has religious overtones. The Roe v. Wade conversation has religious overtones. Um, those, those things are huge. Um, and uh, looking forward to, to getting back into it. Well, we were, we were having an interesting conversation prior to our recording. We were chatting a little bit about, about communities outside of our own communities, recognizing people, recognizing religious 
represent representatives of, of religious faiths. So mm -hmm. it'd be like uh, like an evangelical getting recognized by uh, sort of Muslims or uh, or Buddhists and whatever as as a representative to the community. And and the and the reverse. We were chatting a little bit about that. Um, and and then, uh, uh, but we I think the big subject that it that that we that is abortion. I mean, what we you know, this is like the biggest thing. I, I, and we're a little bit rusty because usually we jump into the issues, but boy, you got, I mean, what's going on in the evangelical community? I mean, I'm, uh, we've talked about abortion before. We, we chatted yeah, a little bit sure. about it during the Trump administration and, uh, and how, you know, stacking of the judiciary would affect uh, Roe versus Wade. And, and, sure. and now we're kind of seeing it maturize into what it is. Um, and uh, you know everybody's everybody's crazy about it, you know, and and yeah, and I think yeah. that's understandable, understandably, uh, understandably so. So, I mean, you know, here's the funny thing is that I mentioned that I was going to bring this up if we recorded today, and first thing one of my very close friends said, "Look, to, you you have no you have no place talking about it." Yeah, I said I go what, and and uh, and she goes well. Two guys talking about abortion—it's just inappropriate. And I, I said, well, <laughs> so I I, I I think I'll start off the conversation with, um, no, <laughs> okay. I think that we're an American. First of all, anybody on the planet can have an opinion about something, uh, in a, particularly in America, um, and uh, it harkens back to this sign that I saw once, and that. I had a heated conversation with with uh, um, a friend of mine that said, "You know, no uterus, no say." You know, yeah. And uh, and you and I spoke about this uh, at a previous podcast because I have some very direct experience. I had a, a young lady I was with who got an abortion. Uh, we, we, you know, she got pregnant. We were together, and I had certainly no say. But I had to be supportive, and it was yeah. something that I think about all the time. So, I mean, personally, I'm I'm against abortion, but but um, when it comes to regulating bodies and being, you know, someone regulating an individual body, I think that that that's off limits. You can't tell people what to do. But saying that because you have no uterus, no say, I think is is troublesome because you need to garner broad support because there are pro life, pro choice, you know individuals um that are male yeah you know you disenfranchise a whole group uh and then you're saying that you want to make the laws um and then and so it's very very strange um to me uh, well, and it doesn't, uh, on many levels and, and it will and it doesn't play people would not like how that plays on any other issue right so you you take that out to uh okay um i've never been a soldier therefore i can't have an opinion on how our country wages war right i mean it could be uh, anything that, it could that, be anything. that would make like that would take out how many people out of any kind of uh democratic debate and conversation about well, taking the US chicken hawks out, out of that yeah it might right. be uh, you might, could do something on you know on, on policing i've never been a policeman therefore i'm not allowed to opine on uh uh, law enforcement issues yeah and anything law enforcement right um it makes absolutely no sense um however but, like i get it i do obviously I mean, abortion is unique um that it, it does have to do with uh mothers and babies and uh, i think messengers matter uh in the course of public discourse and so i think it's it's right to be sensitive that we are a couple guys <laughs> talking about well I, I don't disagree on that we are um, I, but I, we don't I'm it's not things we, can be right at the same time we could be yeah, guys, yeah sure 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 and it could be a controversial um, issue but that's our that's first of all the, the construct of the podcast but then you know you can dial it down even more specific and go into well you know if, if you've never been a mother but you are a woman then maybe you have no say you know what i mean there's all you know or if you're if abortion's not part of the the, the construct of your existence as a woman you know for example you might be you might have had children and you might be, you know, at a certain age or whatever it is, then you have no say. Or, yeah. you know, I think this was I, don't, I, I think this was a conversation that you and I had about, well, now with the gender is fluid. So right. what happens when you're fluid and you may not have 
you know, the lady parts, um, appropriate lady parts, but you identify as a lady. So then that means what, you know, so I I think that, I think exclusion uh, on any issue when it comes, it, 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 it totally like uh, obfuscates the, 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 a real conversation because there will be um, there, there will be missed elements of a conversation that will lead to uh, not pining yeah. over the issue sure. appropriately. I but, mean, I remember, but we, and we, we try to, we try to um, be sensitive to that time kind of dynamic when we talk about other issues, right? Uh, I'm a, I'm a Christian and you're a Muslim, uh, but we each represent different slices of, of the greater faith representation. Right. And so, but yeah, like, yeah. You, I mean, you, you never, represent you never, Catholics, you know, right, right. You, you never, you never presume to speak for all of Muslims. Um, I, I don't, I don't uh, presume to speak for any Muslim but myself, <laughs> but I mean, I can, uh, I talk and, from and my I personal experience in advocacy, which yeah. I think, and the Uma, my interaction with the Uma, as 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 do you. You don't speak for Baptists, Southern Baptists, no. you know, and and you know, and to hell with those Northern Baptists. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, no um, Baptist speaks for any other Baptist. Goodness gracious. Um, uh, well, if you this Baptist is saying, you just go down the street. You know, right. So, so, so I, you know, I try to be, and I, I think you see this, and uh, listeners to the program, I hope hope will recognize this that, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm also often sensitive to uh, wh- where I'm trying to deliver a Christian perspective. I'm using the indefinite article, right? A Christian perspective. I'm not saying it's necessarily, right. uh, and, I, and I might even think it ought to be normative for most of Christianity, but I'm, I'm hesitant to go that far, right? I'm very, I'm not going to wade into uh, Catholic stuff or things that are like uniquely Catholic, unless we have one of our friends on uh, to really, uh, to really develop that and uh, try to, I try to demarcate, right, between mainline right. Protestant um, expressions of the faith in the U.S. and uh, my own kind of Baptist evangelical expressions of the faith, because there are differences. Uh, there, there are common threads, obviously. Um, but where those things disagree, right? I'm not going to not comment. Uh, I do have mainline denomination background in my or in my background. So, like, uh, my parents grew up Methodist. I was born while they were at a Presbyterian church, and. <laughs> <laughs> grew up in an evangelical church that was like a Baptist Presbyterian hybrid, uh, and then I've ultimately been Baptist uh, by by employment and conviction uh, the last couple decades. So I, I I am kind of an ecumenical mutt, um, right? Uh, and so when I, I, I find you know from a Christian so, perspective yeah. on things, like it's I think it's informed. I think I have an experience uh, to share that, but I'm also I I try to you know caveat where where appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I just I I, I I just have a hard time when anybody says you can't have an you can't have an opinion on that on this issue, yeah, sure. and uh, I mean, especially specifically coming, not just from you don't have, you don't a, have to take my opinion on it, but I yeah I'm, I'm allowed I, to have one. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I'm supposed to. Okay, I mean, where does it end? You know. So, um, but I, you know, I just that's. I mean, I don't. My my question to you is, how when it comes to faith regulating an an individual right who's not of that faith right so so people believe you're you know your your tribe believes and this i think i I believes that abortion is murder um and so i think of i you know i was just chatting with my mother about it my mother is against abortion okay she's anti-abortion um she's not protesting but she does you know doing anything she's not campaigning but she believes that in pro-choice, right? But because she be- she does believe in life, uh, the life, uh, and I think that that's a, um, a, I think there's a debate of where life begins, right? Um, but she doesn't believe in regulation of the body, and and so my mother and I's views are probably very similar. I I am against it, but I'm I'm against abortion, but I'm not for regulating any individual's body, and I'm certainly not for any different faith group dictating uh, in a theocratic way what a person and individual should be doing. Now, I'm saying that knowing that um, both of us are registered for the draft, right? And that's something that regulates, I mean, it, it basically puts us in harm uh, and we have no choice to that, but that's not a religious justification for that. It's not like a, a particular faith group that's defender that's the defending the Republic against, you know, enemies far and wide, uh, you know, so there's nothing there. 
I also know that we have mandatory paternal tests as males, right? So paternity test, um, you know, if, in, in the case that there's some question of whether or not uh, the child is, is, we fathered a child. So I do know that, and that, but there's no religious basis behind that either. That's, those are very secular reasons why. Yeah. So what, you know, how, how do you, how would you, how would you say, how would you explain this as, a, as an evangelical yeah. to someone else? Like, cause it, that's really the, I mean, that's the issue that comes that everybody asks me, like, how would you, you know, it's a, it's the, it's a theocratic, um, it's a, it's a, it becomes a, a theocracy where, yeah. And the, and the Handmaid's Tale, where that, you know, that some, I saw I read an article about the Handmaid's Tale. And uh, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't watch the show, not because of the subject matter. I just, the lady that was the main character, um, her face, you know, she always would have this charmingly befuddled face in every scene, every other scene. And I, I wasn't, I had no suspension of disbelief. So, um, so <laughs> and, and I, I don't know who the actress is, and I'm not speaking any judgments. Which is on saying something because both of us can have a pretty high tolerance for suspension of dis or low tolerance for a level of disbelief. Well, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I've operated the Beltway for so many times. So based based on our media so consumption, much, yes, but <laughs> I, I just couldn't. It was so hard because she was always confused by what was going on. And I'm going, you, it's a, it's, isn't it a theocracy? Like her friend was getting hung and she was driving, they were driving her by in a truck or something. And she was just flabbergasted. And I'm going, what did you think is going to happen here? And she's always flabbergasted. She was always kind of surprised. So what a strange character. It's like, um, but anyways, we're off to, we're off to the races. So how would you explain this? If I say, look, isn't this the start of a theocracy? You know, you're 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 you have you stacked the the the, the Supreme Court. Um, we have particular states saying that they're going to criminalize everything across the board. Um, yeah. You are regulating an individual's body, no matter how many ways you slice it. And now we're at this sort of zero hour with this uh, abortion issue. And yeah. and and what and you know, is it a joyous thing? Let's start with that too. How do you justify it? And then how would you explain it to somebody be like, you know, you're keeping that, that rapist baby. You I mean, know what I mean? We're, <laughs> we're kicking up. This was supposed to be a warm up, John. And I know, but you know, like I just, you know, this grilling is, me on uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I don't know how you justify it. Like, I, you know, the Taliban, fine. We, I can go here. I, can well, go I know, here. but that's, I'm, I, you know, that's how I deal with all this stuff. I deal with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And we're dealing with whether girls can go to school and yeah, and, and all this stuff. And then we're trying to deal with, you know, personal dress. It's 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 a fiasco, you know. So it, this, but we're at zero hour, and I think our listeners, you know, need to know. I mean, this is vastly controversial. So I don't want to, but I yeah. think you got all the. I think you've got all the talking points. This is something that you the waters you swam in pretty heavily, and yeah, and you know, I've been I've been professionally at least and and often personally involved in the pro-life movement for a couple of decades now right i'm not a pelvic uh, politics guy so you know i just have my own person my views are my own on this one and i've never advocated one way or the other because yeah. of, of the sensitivities in my personal experience and i've dealt with international issues so how how would you well, you know let's, well, let's let's take on the, the faith faith quote-unquote theocracy uh element first um uh, lots to unpack there. Um, and again, there's so much, there's so much that's kind of unique in uh, American history on the abortion issue relative to say some your, you know, how it's, how the abortion issue has been um, mediated in European countries. Right. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the it's very restrictive in Europe. It's very restrictive yeah, in Europe, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, the U S the U S lines up, uh, on abortion policy, the U.S. lines up uh, internationally uh, up against some pretty terrible regimes uh, who are kind of regimes who we kind of on a human rights basis think are uh, utterly terrible, um, like among China and North Korea and, and those kind of places where it's kind of green, green light for abortions. Um, no restrictions. Um, on, on the faith um, and governing thing, um, I think uh, number one, theocracy is is bandied about pretty frequently, and it's yes. it, often underplayed, right? Um, uh, where uh, we have a, we're in a liberal democracy, liberal meaning um, in the classical liberal sense that uh, there's an emphasis on individual rights. Uh, we 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 have a, the Bill of Rights, which is pretty unique, um, and there's no establishment of religion. Um, it does not mean, though 
that uh, people of any religious faith are prohibited from uh, bringing their religiously informed convictions into the public space uh, and uh, seeing some element of that reflected in law if if they uh, play through the democratic process uh, and win allies uh, and votes, right? Um, we right. see that as democracy um, uh, playing out in a, in a way that's um, that we'd like. Um, you can't silence religious opinion just because it's religious uh, or keep it out of the public square. Um, and issues uh, historically that have ended up pretty good or been better for the engagement of religious people in American history, history include uh, the abolition of slavery, um, the abolition of child labor, the abolition of, um, or the, the civil rights movement in the 20th century. Um, all those things uh, were heavily, heavily led by uh, people of religious faith. And so um, we need to be cautious about seeing um, people who have a particular religious faith participating in the democratic process as "Quote unquote theocracy." That's not the case, unless you're unless you're harmonizing the structures of uh, government with structures of a religious institution. It's just not a theocracy. Um, the second... I mean, I agree with you on that because I, I but there are people on, on faith on both sides of the slavery issue, for example, right? They yeah, justify oh, sure. and it, yeah, and sure. it just you know you can't separate faith from the indiv individual, and and that helps form opinions and. And participation is participation in government. But aren't, uh, aren't we glad that better theology won won out over those who would enslave uh, human beings and uh, those who would continue to discriminate them? Uh, we're right. still having that issue. It's not gone. Uh, you know, gosh, the the racism. We're recording this after the weekend of the uh, Buffalo. Uh, mass Buffalo, New York shooting, which is up near your your neck of the woods. So yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how much you want to comment on that. It's still pretty fresh, but um, clearly racism uh, and this white supremacist thing, see, thing still exist. But at least for the sake of laws against chattel slavery and um, and so and the civil rights movement, um, we're we're the better for um, a certain segment of religious people winning over uh, other religious people. Um, the second the second is. Um, uh, the second thing I'd unpack in that question is the assumption that um, the pro-life argument is um, uniquely or only a religious argument. It's not. Um, the, the question for the pro-life movement is, what is the unborn? And so right. mo most any pro-lifer um, who's been a part, who I've ever met in the you know, mainstream pro-life movement over the last 20 years, Everything, everything we say about uh, women's autonomy and bodily autonomy, we agree. Uh, but the question is, what happens when there is another human body in the mix? Uh, yeah. And the question um, uh, for pro-choice folks, um, and especially for people who want to see abortion, access to abortion unfettered with zero restrictions, is what is the unborn, right? Um, and uh, the, th the thing that I'll quickly move. So it's not just a religious, uh, question. I, I'm, I, I would say that, you know, the Christian faith harmonizes with a pro-life argument that's based in science and reason. Um, that's a whole other kind of rabbit trail. Um, but, uh, it is, it's a question of medical, um, fact, uh, you know, is it, this is a unique human being. It's, it has a heartbeat. It has, uh, it has its own unique DNA that is neither the father nor the mother's DNA. Um, and now how, how we, um, how, how that medical reality, um, translates into public policy that, um, that people can agree on. That's a big question, right? And so the uniqueness, um, of, of America and Roe versus Wade is that um, it was kind of decided on a federal level uh, in a not terribly great way. It's like, you know, I think it was even Ginsburg was, uh, even though she's pro-choice, like wasn't crazy about <clears throat> how Roe v. Wade was decided uh, judiciously. Um, and so it kind of took the public debate uh, off the table, right? And kind of took it away from legislative uh, deliberations uh, in America in the, in the early seventies. Um, so now what you have is people, it, it's again, this is the uniqueness about now is this is happening when America is already in a uniquely toxic, polarized, toxically polarized era. Right. And right. so that any kind of issue 
um, as if it wasn't contentious enough, <laughs> um, is going to be pitted between two two extremes. And so uh, what happens is if Roe v. Wade is overturned, um, it, it doesn't outlaw abortion. It sends it back to the states and the states are it's a smorgasbord of of legal restrictions or no legal restrictions at the state level and yeah so safe havens i was reading you know like which yeah, states safe, you know some states are going to be quote safe havens for abortion practices and then other states yeah. are going to be right and so you have a lot of states my my state in tennessee they have quote these quote trigger laws that um were written and drafted long before roe v wade looked like it was actually going to be overturned it was just basically says you know in the event that roe v wade is overturned there, then this will be the law in our particular state and you have those kinds of things uh to varying degrees whether you have a red state or blue state uh, and so it's going to be a mishmash and you know i think long term and speaking governing politically speaking um I, it, it'll, it's good forward motion it'll be interesting to see how these develop uh in the short term uh it 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 may be kind of a disaster uh, at the different state levels. And by that, I mean, um, you're going to have a bunch of people and, and this is going to happen kind of in mirror reflections in red states and blue states. There's yeah. not going to be a great amount of deliberation um, and coherence uh, bringing people across the aisle to decide what abortion policy is, right? It's going to be, you're going to have sloppy legislation that's kind of rushed through that may be the extreme on one side and then the other right um the question at issue with dobbs um which is the which is the supreme court case is i think it's the it's the um the distinction is in it's mississippi le legislation that bans abortions at 15 weeks and so this is a state restriction that bans it at 15 weeks so this is second trimester um and uh and beyond um however you get there um you're you're talking about uh it's a particular restriction it's not an outlaw right it's not a it's not even a heartbeat bill they didn't even go as far as the heartbeat bill uh but this is at 15 weeks right so uh typically babies are born born healthy healthy pregnancies that don't end early born around 38 to 39 weeks maybe 40 weeks um you have babies in, in kind of the mid twenties that are able to be sustained um, in in uh, NICU units um, with advanced medical technology, right? So uh, the quote viability question is ever moving, <laughs> like ever moves younger and younger uh, right. because of our medical advances. Um, and so you'll, you know, this, the Mississippi law by many respects related to say heartbeat bills that's actually a relatively moderate, um, moderate kind of bill. Uh, and so by what I mean is one of the unique things about America is unlike European countries who've kind of like negotiated their restrictions on abortion, um, we don't have any federal law against it. Uh, it's basically there's with Casey, there was more um, opportunity that states could uh, regulate abortion at some level. Um, and so you have that. Um, previous Supreme Court decision cases uh, in recent years um, have been losses for the pro-life movement when they've tried to um, basically set forth um, the same kind of medical requirements for an abortion clinic that an ambulance has, right? And so it's uh, they're trying, they've been trying to restrict it so that an abortion clinic has to meet the same medical um, access and skill set and tools and hospital permissions um, or hospital privileges for um, physicians as uh, any other medical provider. Those have been kind of largely knocked down, but those are, I think were decided before the court um, looks a lot different before the six, three uh, conservative majority. So there are a lot of elements here. Um, but uh, I think, I mean, so it's going to happen. It looks like it's going to happen. I think, you know, if you want to get in the weeds, um, so it looks a like it's going it, it like to happen. Because like, we get in the, caught in the minutiae, but it looks like it's going to happen. It's going to go to the states. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a there's a, a faith based argument and there's science based arguments. But there's a there's a, I was looking at one of the polls and I can't remember. It seems like it's like 50 50 in America. You know, like it seems like 
fifty percent of Americans right. want it. it de- well, it, de- it depends on you ha- how you ask the question. Yeah, abortion is one of those where the polling the polling questions are notoriously terrible. Well, you and I uh, are and have, really unhelpful. You know, we have PhDs um, but, in, in polling nonsense, so you know, um, yeah, not, not literally, but 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 through practice. Yeah, because <laughs> if, with... if you have if you ask the question, you know, just you know, Roe versus Wade, you know, pro or con, you know, overturn or not, like it's it's you know fifty fifty or you know or majority want to keep Roe v. Wade. But if you ask particular questions about uh, regulating abortion is, are you comfortable with abortion being legal at 30 weeks, you know, uh, right. second trimester, right? The the public opinion is overwhelmingly uh, pro-restrictions, um, even, even if they uh, believe like, you know, say first trimester or, at, or early days, uh, it ought to be, ought to be fairly permissive. Like, at least there's a lot of lot of consensus on public opinion uh, on outlawing it, <clears throat> outlawing it thir- certainly during third trimester and, and a lot during and second trimester. So there's agreement public poli- there's public agreement on those things if you can kind of peel away the noise from the polar opposites, right? Who it's it's all, either kind of an all or nothing kind of thing. Uh, and so what we're the question is. To what extent and how soon America will be able to, um, you know, deliberate and come up with some uh, some pro-life legislation, right, that advances the cause of life and the unborn, that also has some durability um, when uh, political power shifts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, it, it, the durability is probably the big a big issue. Like I, you know, <laughs> part of part of me is is all for the the arguments that I mentioned earlier that I was that about not having an opinion. I, at, at this point in my life, I'm not sure, you know, how how involved I am in in, in this issue. Uh, I've spoken about it with my mother and uh, and I and a couple of friends. And I just said to them, look, you know. You know, part of me is feels so disenfranchised by my past dealing with. This issue that I almost don't have an opinion because I don't want to get yelled at. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you know, because I've just, you have enough, like, you have enough negative baggage wrapped up uh, on the look, issue. I, you don't want to engage it. I, look, I'm touching my face here because I was like, it's like, um, I, I deal with Islam. Okay. It's, right. And yeah. terrorism, terrorism. And then here's the thing. Like I've, you know, here we have, a, I have a gift from paradise. I have the Russia invading the Ukraine. It, not that, that's a wonderful thing. But I grew up thinking I was going to fight in the Cold War. And I went to school. I majored in Russian history. I went to a school in Russia. I, I you know, I, my, my, all the Russian scholars are dead. And now there's this open door, you know, for people that have, I worked for the first 10 years of my career in Russia and the former Soviet republics. So I'm so excited about this Russia issue, right? <laughs> so like, like, this is like a big thing for me. So, um, and 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 have weighed in on on the, the the invasion and what's going on and and have direct uh, had a direct impact in the U.S. Marine uh, being released from Russia. So um, uh, even though the ambassador and the special envoy for hostage negotiations took credit for it, uh-huh. they haven't been doing anything. On, uh, and okay. so uh, so nothing. Um, but uh, but the point is is that um, so like the, well, those are my issues, right? So. Um, do I, but uh, these international stuff, right? And so it was, it's from my, my, it is difficult for me to get my head around when these sort of, sort of pivotal, I would mean, say sort of these rocks, right? It's like one of the, it's like one of the faces of Mount Rushmore just cracked and fell off, right? Because it's just been a, a staple my entire life, right? So, you know, and I, I'm not making a judgment on which face, right? Um, so it, 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 it that's it's like that happened. And then someone saying, well, what's your opinion about Washington's face coming off of Rushmore? I'll be like, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, um, not sure. So I have my personal views, but never advocated, never did, never, never was advocating on this specific issue. And then just some of the, the, the conversations that I've had recently, uh, particularly like my mother and uh, and a few other people, it's. One, you know, one was saying, well, you shouldn't even have an opinion. You shouldn't even be weighing in on this. And I go, I, I'm like, I, I, first of all, that makes me want to weigh in on it. But it, it, I, I, to be honest with you, it's not, it's, it, I, I think, I think women should have, no one should regulate anybody's body. It shouldn't be a woman's body. It should be anybody's body. Uh, 
I think that's very troublesome when you start codifying something like that. Um, I understand the argument, though, of another individual because that's another body now. And so that that nuance is is uh, it, it slogans don't answer those questions. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's the problem, you know, in, and I'm always the so what and what now when it comes to the issues that I deal with. And so in this, if, I, if someone if someone came over to me and said, I, I, I want to hire you to advocate on this issue. The first thing I'd say is, OK, what how do we what, what where where what's what's the real issue here? The issue is two individuals. When does issue, we know one is an individual. When does individual number two become an individual? And then how do you, and I, I guess this is going to sound terrible. How do you advocate for the unborn, which is, I know, a slogan on your side. So, okay. So um, <laughs> I guess it'd be so weird to say that. It's like, it's like it makes me uncomfortable. I get a feeling in my, in my chest. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure there's any other, any other way to say it. I mean, it is. I know, but I got a feeling. It is, it is what slogan, we try to you know? do. And so I get away from that. But how do you how do you advocate and what is the unborn? Uh, so yeah, um, What's, and, and that's the that's the key question that a lot of the other questions tend to obscure, right? And so like if I'm able to have a conversation one on one like with you or somebody else, and it's we can kind of clear away the noise of the politics and the political moment, um, and we're like, look, like what is the unborn? Um, how how do we you know when do you think you know what is it biologically? Uh, what is it? What is it doing inside the mother's womb? And uh, how do you decide when uh, life begins, quote unquote? Um, and yeah. I, think, I think it's um, historically, you know, we're talking about particularly Roe v. Wade was coming out. Look, it's the 1970s um, and uh, coming off of things when people still used terms like quickening. <laughs> Well, I mean, I should not be advocating on this issue. I'll tell you right now. We we know not a lot more, right? I mean, we know we know a whole lot more about uh, fetal development, right? um, Than than we did. Uh, So you actually, you know, you you don't even have to have. um, You don't have to. Pro life people don't need to uh, have. You know, a view of the Roe v. the Roe v. Wade deciding judges, uh, and even you know, abortionists in the early to mid 20th century uh, to, you know, cut them a little slack to be like, look, we know a lot more here, uh, medically speaking. Uh, we know the DNA stuff. We know the heart, when the heart beats, um, all those things seem to be sign of unique human life. Uh, and there's a burden, I think, on, on the abortion freedom side uh, yeah. to define why and where they think it ought to begin elsewhere. Um and, you know, you, we might, you know, caveating that when life begins, when a, you, you and I are, you know, spiritual people, we believe uh, in spiritual things. We believe in a, a, a soul, right? Inhabiting a right. When, body, when, right? When, when that individual is embodied yeah, with. When, when is that, Im- you know, when is the yeah. physical, like, we don't know that uh, Christianity, uh, we don't know that scientifically, like biologically, Christianity is going to say we have scriptural evidence that indicates, um, God recognizes humanity in the womb. Um, we, we see that in the New Testament uh, and, and the Old Testament. Um, so we, we have theological uh, beliefs that thinks uh, it believes it, it begins at conception. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I'm going to argue objectively, if you don't know when else during, uh, during gestation there's a point, then ethically speaking, I think you have to yeah. default to the safest ethical place, the safest moral, moral view, which is like, if I don't know, then I want to be really careful not to take a viable or a, a, a human, a unique human life. Uh, and you kind of have to default to conception. See, I see my thing is like, I, actually. none of that even comes into my mind at, a, at any of that point. I'll just, just be honest with you. So like, well, I don't think came, it comes from, for a lot of people. Well, Right. Well, so I have a very personal experience. Like I said, I, I, a young lady, she got pregnant. I didn't have a say. We, She didn't want to keep it. And then I had to support her all the way through it. Very traumatic experience. So yeah. someone came to me and said, I want you to advocate on this issue. I would say, listen, I, 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 I'd like to take the contract, but I don't think it's fair for me to take the contract. Because I have an emotional attachment to this issue that makes me say I'm against abortion, but I'm also for personal freedom. So. Yeah. And I don't think the government should should regulate anyone's body yeah. for any, you know. And so that would, I think that's where it kind of like stops because I have such an emotional response to abortion 
because of the trauma that was incurred upon me. And I, I get very offended when people say it's, oh, it's indirect to males. Okay, I get it. It's not physical um, in the sense that something happens to us, but I think we've come a long way where talk, we're talking about all these different issues about uh, the psychological effect of a particular event in someone's life and how traumatic it is and how it can manifest into physiological issues and all kinds of other stuff that I think it's unfair to say stuff like that, but yeah. I, I'm not going to advocate for anybody to change that because I don't want to get rid of too much trouble. But the fact is, is that um, I, I don't think I could advocate because of my, my, my emotional attachment to this issue. It, 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 it gives me tunnel vision. Maybe but I'm it, not I, able to even care you, about some of these arguments, maybe. you know, it could give you credibility. I, I have a friend, I have a, a, not a friend, an old, uh, old contact acquaintance of mine, um, who back early in the pandemic, um, his wife got sick with COVID and the, uh, hospital restrictions were such that, uh, he was not able to see her while she was hospitalized and she died while in the hospital. He is, he is, it's a tragic, unbelievable, tragic uh, story. He's not the only one, uh, obviously, who experienced something like that. Um, but he since has launched, you know, an, a, a nonprofit that tries to advance uh, policy uh, recommendations uh, for those kinds of situations, um, you know, based yeah. on, you know, you know, basically loved ones access to people who are who are ill with uh, communicable diseases. Um, it, he's clearly close to that issue uh, emotionally. Um, but it does give him a certain amount of credibility. One other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say on the abortion issue is um, when we're talking about uh, the life of the, the baby, it doesn't mean we're trying to pit the life of the baby versus the life of the mother. Uh, Pro-life community has, has long held that uh, there are at least two victims uh, in, in an abortion, and that includes the mothers. The, the idea that uh, abortion is kind of an innocuous um, uh, event uh, without repercussions, both uh, medically and emotionally, um, for the mother, uh, is not, not true. Um, it's, it, it's a significant, um, it's a significant procedure, um, both medically, both, both medically, uh, speaking and, and emotionally, uh, uh, speaking and certainly from a Christian perspective, spiritually speaking, but, um, those things are pretty, pretty well established, uh, that it's not a risk-free, uh, situation. Yeah. I, I, I just, I mean, it, this is probably the most civil, abortion conversations ever happened um so but uh, but then again well, yeah just, and, and it's the problem like it's it's hard to have uh civil conversations and it's hard to have them in public um how, how and... do you how, how do you weigh in on how do you weigh in on on this the supreme court, court justices you know a lot of them during the confirmation hearings like gorsuch and gorsuch and and uh, um uh, uh and uh barrett right and uh were uh talked about how they would support you know the, the precedent and all this other stuff and then and uh and when they were asked the question about roe versus wade and they were and they were weighing in on that and now how it's it it appears i saw uh I, I, the, uh, it's called the, the policy center i was a, there was a there's a there was a guy on the on the news when my my mother and i were watching and it was it was pretty interesting um it was uh, uh, the, the public policy center. It was this guy named Ed Walden. I don't know if you know who this guy is. But, I mean, the genius of taking the Dred Scott decision, right, which, which basically right. said we're not going to deal with slavery, right, and right. linking it to Roe versus Wade. I mean, it's, I mean, it's on a, I, when I, when I, this, is what I, this is what I pulled out of it. So this guy is like, you know, pro turning over Roe versus Wade. And he said, well, they're not, they didn't, they're not backstepping from their testimonies when they were in their confirmation hearings and people in confirmation hearings really don't say much. And, uh, and, but they did say that they would, you know, f follow with precedent and, 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 you know, the, the decisions of the past and so forth. I know, and you know, that the constitution does not guarantee uh, that a decision can't be overturned, right? Once a decision, right. you know, yeah, there's absolutely. precedent. And so they can be overturned. But it, I, I found it a really strong, like a stroke of genius. And you and I have gotten into these. We've had a, a good careers where we've done that. We've sort of patted ourselves on the back from a government relations standpoint, saying, <laughs> "You know, I've linked this to this, and it's 
it, it, it a lot a little bit of, it's a little bit of theatrics you know amateur dramatics yeah. but the fact that you do that makes it where people start they start going on the other side how can you advocate for the Dred Scott decision right it's like right. not like you can't say that it was a great decision and so um linking it to Roe versus Wade was such a genius statement uh and uh, in a policy paper and yeah. uh but but what do you think about the judges and 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 how now it's, it appears that they flipped it back and forth and and uh, flipped 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 from their testimonies and their uh, and their statements during the, the confirmation hearings. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's it's part of the part of the what it has become the political confirmation, the theater of political confirmation or political theater of Supreme Court confirmations. Um, of course, they can't opine. Uh, on on particular issues that might be- come in front of the court, um, that I mean, we we all see kind of the the wink nod litmus tests, um, but you're not going to do that like overtly. Um, and of course, I mean, stare decisis is a thing. Like there is such a thing as precedent, but it doesn't mean it's untouchable. Uh, and aren't you and we I glad spoke about this? For, like, spoke- aren't we glad that? <laughs> aren't we glad that you know? Wait, that slavery is not like, is, that, that's not that's not law anymore, right? So, aren't we glad that this court the court changed its mind on a few things? Yeah, uh, slavery yeah. and segregation included, uh, yeah. for crying out I loud. So, like, if you, if you hold up stare decisis as as the end all be all as an ultimate, it is a principle, uh, but the idea that it's an ultimate principle that doesn't uh, that that disallows. Um, you know, censors uh, opinion or uh, tries to you know uh, censor people from we, talking we about talked it. about not, this. It's not a thing. Trump. We talked about this during Trump about the courts being stacked, and we talked. I, there's there's actually probably there's, I know I recall it of us chatting about how you were like, yeah, this this is this is good. You know, like it could move, and that and the the the, the pro life conversation could move could move forward. I think that was the comment that you and I uh, that you had made in our conversation. And so I, I, it, you know, I, I was saying to my mother, what do you think was going to happen? <laughs> I said, what did you think was going to happen with these guys once they got into court? Because it's, there's a majority now and it just is what it is. And, and they're, they're, they're people of faith or people with specific convictions that are now, you know, going to weigh in on these issues. Now, theoretically uh, judges are there for life. And judges don't, um, you know, they get out of the issues because they have that life appointment. So they are a little bit more, presumably a little bit more objective about the issues and about following case law and precedent. What I think blindly, you know, blindly trying to say that precedent and then something that was decided should just stay without arbitration is foolhardy and naive. The uh, the one thing, one more thing, I'll, I'll say on the the current um, uh, Dobbs case. So we've seen you know the leaked opinion, the, the leaked written uh, opinion uh, drafted from Alito. Um, that's a that's a scandal, right, in and of itself. Um, but leading up to that, what we know is that for him to basically get the green light to write the opinion means that there were at least five votes to to make that decision. The decision I'm going to demarcate, and again, I'm not I'm not the legal beagle guy. I'll defer to others on that. But basically, for shorthand, uh, the decision is the is what happens to the law, and the opinion is kind of the ex- explanation of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what we we know that there was at least five votes uh, for Lido to have drafted that opinion. What we don't know is whether that opinion, in its totality, would have still achieved five votes. Um, or whether in the course of regular court process, again, scandal aside, scandal of leaked documents aside, whether his first draft would have still procured five votes, right? Or whether, you know, other drafts would, or whether his argument would have come down so hard uh, as to lose a vote, right? Um, Or more, and whether they needed to tailor that to number one, keep five votes, or, um, you know, what we've seen time and time again for the Roberts court, and again, I'm not saying that there's any, any reason necessarily to believe this uh, will happen. I, I, it's a stretch to think it would happen on something like an abortion issue. Uh, but what we know about the Roberts court after this many years is that he, he, will, he likes to navigate uh, and try to get more of a majority decision, even if it's a more narrowly defined 
ruling, right? Uh, he would right. rather have more votes. He see, there seems to be a tendency where possible, he would like to have say six to three versus yeah. five to four, even right. if that means the judicial uh, decision and ramifications are more narrowly tailored. Right. Um, and so I actually see a caution here for the pro-life movement because what to the Alito draft, uh, it kind of gives us a lot of a lot of us pro-lifers like kind of all of our a lot of our hopes and dreams and spirit and energy into all his uh, all his argumentation um, such that if anything short of that, and I think it will probably be short of that, um, even retort, even if the decision is same, the same and Roe v. Wade is overturned, I'm a little concerned that if the rhetoric doesn't ha include all the all the major flourishes and uh, breadth that Alito's uh, opinion does, that there'll be like kind of a lot of disappointment on the pro-life side. Um, mm. And I think we need to keep in mind that like that was that was a number one draft and it could look different. And frankly, uh, there's precedent for votes flipping. Um, uh, differently, like on, I think, I think it happened on Casey. Again, I'll defer to other legal experts on that, but like, uh, there were, there were some, there have been court decisions that kind of flipped on, on the late eve of things when, uh, the court thought it had a decision one way and then a vote flipped. So, um, sorry, I'm giggling because caution, is there any, but, is there any decision that's pro, that's pro the evangelical movement where the evangelicals will not come out feeling persecuted? Right. I mean, is there any, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like I, 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 I mean, yeah. any, is there any favorable thing? Because uh, you know, you and I have spoken about this in previous seasons about how you know Christians claim to be the most persecuted globally, and and we, you and I, both know that that that's um, completely insane. Well, but, and and it's going to be a sad. It's going to be a sad thing to see if uh, if a Roe v. Wade gets overturned and uh, the rhetoric in the in the decision appear has any appearance of having been muted since alito's first draft uh the, how much oxygen uh pro-life people will burn uh you know claiming in, imitation imita intimidation and that kind of stuff is going to be really tragic um for a decision that will still move the ball forward on the pro-life issue in a big way and yeah. um uh you know when those first drafts are written you know, again, it's a it's a first draft. I'm not I'm not up to speed on SCOTUS drafts. You think the there's intimidation? You think those protests outside the houses are? I have, I mean, I I have a heart cursory. I, I don't think you can limit limit people. Are. I don't I don't think um, that's necessary. You know, they're public figures. You know, you know what? Yeah. Like I have we're, this is it's you know we we have the right to protest. We have the right to assemble. Uh, I'm I'm way in the camp of. Everyone needs to, you know, it's kind of hands off as long as it's not violent. And as long as there's not, you know, I mean, people there, can write. Well, there, things are, there actually are more. Um, I was listening to advisory opinions podcast uh, this morning, and there actually are more state level laws about um, protesting at the homes of elected officials uh, and judges than you might think. Yeah, there's, so it's, there's, not, it's, there's not, it's not, it actually isn't. It, on that. Yeah, the, those kinds of yeah. protesting, that kind of protesting is actually not. Uh, necessarily protected by the First Amendment in the way we might might think it is. So there may be some ramifications for that, um, and it's yeah. it's poor poor form. It's tough the because there's the protest court's in front closed. of the court, protest in front of the court, protest in front of Congress. Um, you can't well, you know you can only do it in front of the court because you can't go inside the building. You know they can't have cameras and all this other business. And that's the that's part of the issue, I think. And again, I'll, I'll, we've we've heard, hit this multiple times. The reason this is so contentious, and the reason that so much focuses on the court, is because U.S. Congress, at the national level, has absolutely and utterly failed the American people for decades by not deliberating on this issue and finding some form of a negotiation that most uh, negotiating some kind of policy where most that most Americans would agree on. That's uh, my same argument with the Ukraine. For yeah. I've watched since 2016, and I've been involved in the issue with. With uh, with uh, Russia, there has been no diplomatic effort to dis address the issues of the Donbas and Crimea, and between Russia and Ukraine, no diplomatic effort. It was conflict monitoring, and then and then move and trying to move as far as we can uh, Ukraine as far as it can into the into NATO. So, and I, and I, when I was there, or when I was dealing with this these issues, and and and, and consulting on them. I said, well, why aren't we negotiating? And and the highest the highest levels of of the office, you know, they're talking about, you know, uh, Representative uh, Ambassador Volkner and all these people were like, oh, it's, it's a non-issue. Um, there's not going to be a war in Europe. <laughs> like, do you know what the Russians? The Russians don't have to win. 
Yeah. They just have to. They just have to create as much destruction as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So, um, but I don't know. I guess. I mean, it's. I think it's a product of the of the of the the city that you and I had operated in for a long time. I mean, now I only go in for meetings as I think you do. And, uh, and, and we are remote, but it's turned into a town of loyalists um, where there is very little um, civil discourse. There's very little uh, conversation going on, on, on a middle ground and approaching those, those talking points. If that, if those conversations do happen as, as a, as, as a stepping off point for us to start forming policy, it's everything's is now swinging back and forth um, to, from one extreme to the next. But I mean, I appreciate your, you know, being like sort of forthcoming. I know I put you on the spot, but we knew we were going to talk about worship, but I, I just, you know, I, I think the problem is, is when is an individual, when is that a regulated body who protects that individual? Sure. And like, you know, does there need to be like a commission well, on, on, on the baby commission? I don't, I don't even know. I'm sure somebody's going to say it. So I don't know how you advocate. There, there needs non- to be some kind of legislative body that deliberates over law and policy and nuance <laughs> and medical credibility and human rights. Gee, uh, if only there were such a body that could do such a thing. <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I really wish that we had. I do wish. I, I mean, I wish that that the people that were involved in. Um, Everett Coop, remember Everett Coop? I, I love this guy, right? Everett Coop, yeah. Yeah. So he was the household name. He was the um, Surgeon General that was the household name. I wish that we had someone that was even, even Don, like Donald Rumsfeld, bad, you know, did a lot of bad things, uh, but at least he was vocal and you knew he was moving and shaking as the, the you know, as the uh, uh, um, Secretary of Defense. You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was on the news, he was saying stuff. Um, and he had positions and he said, I may not be, you know, I, I may not be supported in the administration, but this is what I believe. And we don't have that. There's the state's people in our government are not, it's just, it's, they're few and far between. And, uh, I mean, I find people even, even on, on both sides. Um, so it's, it's difficult because we're not finding any talking points other than the extremes right now. Yeah, but and, recent, and, more and more, I, I, I keep reflecting on, I think, the idea that, um, particularly for a, a Christian participation in politics, it, getting our ethics right, uh, getting the getting the issue ethics right, kind of the, quote, right position on a particular issue, it's really only part of the battle, right? Because um, we still have to, you still have to win allies uh, in order to um, codify that kind of stuff into law and make public policy. And, and you have to do it with people who don't necessarily share your convictions, but who I believe, uh, hold equal worth and dignity as human beings, um, that I don't, I can't, I can't get away from that from my scripture, uh, and who hold equal status as citizens, uh, in in our nation. Um, and it's, you know, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to uh, promote laws and stuff that uh, is going to regulate their life, right. I, I, I feel like I have an ethical obligation to try to get them on my side. Well, it's funny. It's well, I, I will end with this. Someone was asking about podcasts. I was really excited that we had talked last week and, uh, and I and was asking about like, how are you in, how do you interact? With How's this guy? And I said, we've been, and it says 2009, we've been working together. I mean, when we worked on a lot of yeah. issues, the reauthorization of Yusuf and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. And, and I told him, I said, listen, Matthew and I, I, I mean, there's might be, there might be five things we agree on. <laughs> like, I, I don't really, I don't even sure there's that many. This might be one of them, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, sure. You know, like mine is just an emotional, personal reason why I'm against abortion. But for, for, I don't want to say, I guess, I don't know if pro-choice, I think it's a pejorative term. I'm against, I'm, I'm against abortion. I'm against the government regulating human beings. You know, so um, because then it's a slippery slope. But I said, the thing is, is that Matthew and I worked on a lot of issues off the record in the back door. I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. I remember us shooting letters back and forth and, 
you know, asking about terminology and, you know, is your tribe going to go to war with us if we say this? And, and uh, you know, how do we say this so you guys don't, you know, and how do we, you know, address this or address that? And, and we are, we're, I guess, old school government relations guys from back in the day where we collaborated on a lot of stuff and all that work is hours and hours alone, you know? Um, and I said, that's why we, we have a really great relationship. We really like each other. We, we have a, 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 we're friends, we're colleagues that are friends now that have a, a, a podcast. But then on top of that, we discuss the issues. And even if we are so in, in, like infuriated with each other, we don't, we, we don't hate each other. You know, we're not, we're still going to talk right afterwards. We might say that each other, it's completely ridiculous. And I've said that to you and you've been like, come on, Jeff. So, and, and there's not a lot of that in DC though. Right. Um, there's just or, not or, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and there's a sort of weird patronizing, I'll listen to you, but I'm not really listening to you and we're not yeah. going to go anywhere. Um, but our conversations have led us to this point, which is really, it's strange. Um, but yeah, like this is, this might be one of the issues. So, uh, I think yeah. we agree on religious freedom is well, an issue we agree on. Although, yeah, sure. as although I, you know, I think that anything having to do with conversion is just off the table. Um, even though I know that evangelizing is in the name of um, your, your faith, I think, you know, that, that whole, but I, but we, we have these, you know, it's this ability to talk about these issues. And I just wish that we would, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and I, I just think that if it goes to states' rights, what do we do? You know, it's just going to be states are going to become the battlegrounds for this. Yeah. And then it's going to be a push at the federal level for, you know, judgeship, you know, and that's going to continue over the next 25 to 50 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a diversity uh, um, policy at the state level. And that's kind of how our system's designed. I mean, uh, it, in a very positive way, uh, states are supposed to be the, uh, you know, the laboratories of democracy like we're, the idea is that we try stuff at the state level before we try to impose it at the federal level um and so you know our, the the federalists among us uh we're supposed you know we're supposed to like that we're like, supposed to like uh um uh work being done at the local legislatures and uh, uh on some on some instances um public policy looking different um, from one state to another. I think there's some things that are justified for that on human rights issues. Uh, you know, naturally they're, they're going to part ways and we're going to, we're going to believe that certain things rise to the uh, level of a federal attention uh, that, that ought to be the same. Uh, we're going to disagree on that, but you know, this, um, the, uh, your, your ar the argument you brought up before about abortion and, and being uh, uh, prevented from engaging the discussion uh, because you're a guy on abortion, I'm going to use that tactic Next time we talk about Paul, I'm going to say, John, you're not allowed to have an opinion about Paul because you're not a Christian. <laughs> I can't know what, but I'm, but Paul was Jewish and, and, and you're I, not Jewish. I'm the highest evolution of, of the Jewish faith. I'm a Muslim. You know, we're no, you know, not going to do it. Can't do it. Yeah. You're like, you're clear. Yeah, you, you, no you don't believe, you don't believe what Paul said. You don't believe what Paul said, John, therefore you can't talk about him. Listen, you thinking that that Paul, that Christianity has some, it, it's not even anywhere near the orbit of Judaism. It's completely another uh, solar system. You know, Islam is. I, I had is, to get that little jab in there. For a you. close cut. Don't why you got to bring up Paul because you know, ah, seething with this guy. <laughs> seething. He writes these personal letters oh, gee, to a dude, look, look and all time. of a sudden it becomes the the canon, and it's, it's time, completely John. out of context. Go. I know. <laughs> A bounty hunter is your is the is like eighty percent of the Bible, of the New Testament. Rehabilitated I, bounty hunter. Rehabilitated bounty hunter. Uh, he saw the light, yeah. literally. You know, it's, <laughs> if you believe if you believe in that, you know. Um, but I don't follow, know. Follow, follow us met, on the follow us on the Twitter. Jesus, Jesus. listeners can follow us on the Twitter. Uh, I haven't been terribly active as, as much as I used to be, but uh, at MT Hawk and uh, at JT Pinna. And uh, you can f connect with us at crossingfaith.com uh, anytime you wish. Thank you for listening. And uh, for those on YouTube, thanks for watching. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Pinna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, 
consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at MTHawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com.